From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in verbose expositional Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this week's episode, your nice host talk with me, writer and narrative designer Felix Foster, about character dialogue in video games. And so if everyone is ready, let's start. Stellar job. Yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> Guest MC. That was fun. <laughs> we should just do that for all of our guests. Make them do our intro. Yeah. <laughs> Which you described as, quote, harder than it looks. Harder than it looks. <laughs> we do this every week. I, I, mean, I just started the getting them to do it. Yeah. What are talking about? <laughs> uh, so, Felix, what are you doing here? Uh, you know, just talking about game dialogue. Uh-huh. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you said in the intro. It is. So it would be kind of weird if you didn't talk about that. Yeah, we're uh-huh. going to talk about glitches in retro games. <laughs> Fascinating topic on its own, for sure. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your background. You are a professional writer. Yes. Um, so I do most of my writing for um, nonprofits and non-video game sector things, um, and actually a lot more uh, nonfiction than fiction, but... In terms of video games, my main interests are uh, obviously fiction, <laughs> uh, kind of narrative storytelling, uh, mm-hmm. long form games like that. Nice. Oh, and you are—you've been on the show before. Yes, once. What was the? It was a. I think it was a co-op talk uh, review or whatever we used to call it. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. Lane. Um, yes. I don't remember what the topic was. I don't either. <laughs> totally unmemorable. <laughs> Well, it'll be on the show notes. It was a good episode, I remember. We had you and Lane sharing a microphone. Yes. And that was real hard to edit. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But it was worth it because it was a good discussion, as I recall. If I recall. Well, now we're back again. Yeah, we will. (laughs) And it was just as hard to to get it rolling, I recall, with the intro. (laughs) Uh, So, what kinds of dialogues do you like in your games, Felix? Broad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like um, interesting dialogue that okay. doesn't feel like the kind of cliche stereotype of video game sure. dialogue. Like, yeah. go All here, your base belong to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, like natural dialogue mm-hmm. that you would say in regular life, not like, go fetch me these five yeah. items. Mm-hmm. And okay. like, actual conversation rather than just like meeting a stranger on the street and then being like hi and then having a conversation as if they've known you their whole life right <laughs> you know what yeah that bothers me about video, uh, how video games work too because they will oftentimes like I, I play a lot of Skyrim I say this on the show all the time and I mod it all the time and I haven't modded the dialogue which maybe I should do but um, <laughs> they oftentimes will like tell you their life story as yeah. soon as you like walk past them on the street you don't even like go up to them and say hi or anything they will just go <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, my brother used to do this thing for a long period of time. He's kind of racist or something. And I'd be like, okay, thanks. I'm just going to go grab these logs real fast. There's actually a really funny example of that because it's, I don't want to say worse, but very similar in Oblivion. Mm -hmm. And um, in the last, I believe, expansion, they have a quest where this guy is like preaching from one of the towns and you walk up to him and he's like talking about this magical quest that he wants someone to go on Mm -hmm. and he's a champion for. Mm -hmm. But rather than just like assuming you're going to do it like everyone else is, he's like, why should I allow you to do it? (laughs) What qualifies you to go on this quest? And then you actually have to have like achieved something in the game prior. And then you can respond with like, I'm the head of the thieves guild or I'm whatever you are to 
justify. And he'd be like, yeah, of course you are. You didn't like do a fact check or anything. <laughs> They've heard tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it, your your requirement for good dialogue seems like duh, but but I mean, it goes to show like how rare it is. Mm-hmm. Like, what makes it so rare? You know, I don't know. I think part of it is probably just because it's the norm, mm-hmm. and it is very hard to to write. I mean, even in a book or a movie, yeah. interesting dialogue, and then like not feel like you're taking yourself out of it. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't personally have a problem with film and television that have like interesting dialogue scenes, but I think a lot of people are like, okay, like let's get to the, the action. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Moving> along. <laughs> I also think there's a difference between game dialogue and, and uh, like film uh, or even uh, dialogue in novels where those uh, sort of like things that you bump against, they happen in film, but because it doesn't happen to you, yeah, it it doesn't feel as it doesn't seem as um, obvious. Yeah, but in in games because you're directly engaging, you, like you know your own motivations, you sort of know your character's motivations, and then all those sort of like weird things about Leah telling you the life story, like as a way of introduction, it's exposition. It feels really tedious and weird. Mm-hmm. Whereas in film, they get away with it a little more mm-hmm. because you are a third party observer, yeah. and uh, I mean they don't get away with it completely, obviously. But uh, I think maybe the standards become a little higher when you're the one talking to the NPC. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. Cause I, I felt like oftentimes, uh, players or, um, NPCs will talk to you as though, like you don't know these things when you should know these things clearly, because maybe mm-hmm. you've been living in the space for, I don't know how long, I don't know what character you are, but like, like if you, if, if your character is supposed to be, have been living in this town for 12, 15 years or whatever, then another character shouldn't be going up to you and say like, Oh, you remember that uh, that tradition we've been doing for thousands of years, right? Right, right. This is how it works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These are the items you need. Yeah. Like, yeah. In a, like a cop procedural, you get the as you know. Yeah, and <laughs> exactly. All the people I'm briefing in this room, <laughs> uh, of course, you've heard this before, and here it is again for the benefit of the viewer. Right. Uh, that can slip by a little bit easier yeah. than what you're describing. Uh, yeah, because right, because you're supposed to be this character, but you're also like being told this story right. in a weird way. Well, and I've seen in, in RPGs especially, I think is where it's most telling because mm-hmm. you're not a written character and so they're just kind of, especially if you have like no actual verbal dialogue as mm-hmm. your character in the game. Um, so a lot of times like I was playing uh, Breath of the Wild yesterday and it's like if you don't have the information they'll be like, you know about whatever and then you can just respond with like no, no I don't. <laughs> like, yeah. Just the ellipses. <laughs> and then they'll exposit but Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're always a, a traveler or a visitor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or an amnesiac, uh, yeah. from, which is pretty common. <laughs> that is, um, but uh, yeah, that, that, that makes that kind of work. <laughs> but even in um, what was I just? Oh, prey um, is what I've been playing the most recently, um, and they use the sort of amnesiac uh, mm-hmm. route, even though it's you're. I think you talk. Now I'm I'm second guessing myself. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean you're you're a character uh-huh. at the end of the day. It's not like full RPG. Like you're a, an already formed character, mm-hmm. and um, but you wake up to not knowing the exact specifics of your surroundings, even though you're like a very important character in this universe, and everyone else knows you, and right. so, like there's already a story going on. But they try to like use that to make it a little bit better for the player who's not aware of what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I imagine that's difficult to write. Yeah, have you have you have you've written for games in the past, right? Only slightly. Okay. Yeah, not a lot of. What what was that like? What was the process? Difficult, um, especially with dialogue, mm-hmm. because that's like my 
least strength <laughs> in terms of any of my writing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always been dialogue because it it's really difficult to make it sound natural, mm-hmm. um, especially like you're saying in terms of when people are viewing as a third party, like in a movie or a book versus when you're actually like mm-hmm. the character speaking. Yeah. And um, uh, with that dialogue, it has to serve a gameplay function yeah. because some players will just mash the button until they get to do something. And so like it is, I found even writing expositional, like uh, not dialogue exactly, but even narration in a game um, is you're like, well, what happens if a player skips this? Will they know what they need to know? Right. And okay, I can pare it down so they can just get what they need, but then it's not as interesting to read anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what about the person who really wants to luxuriate in the in the world? Mm-hmm. Like, am I serving them as well? Um, it, you kind of have to know your audience, and that's kind of impossible. Yeah, because <laughs> like RPGs in particular are approached by different players in very different ways, right. and so you have to serve all those people. Well, and that's a lot of the reason I um, have gravitated towards visual novels in terms of writing because it's. All writing. <laughs> and so, There's no excuse for the player to yeah, skip it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like all either narration or dialogue, and then um, a lot of them do actually have a skip function for which I don't know. I don't quite understand. They but, just want to look at the pictures. Yeah, I guess. they just want to look at the pictures, <laughs> and like every now and then, you know, you you'll give the player choices because mm. that's what makes it a game. But uh, even still, I think it's a lot more likely that your player will sit and like read through the dialogue and actually participate in it mm-hmm. than like an RPG or something where it's like, well, there's a lot of other things I can be doing right now rather yeah. than sitting here for 20 minutes. But then even myself as a player, I found playing some visual novels that I'm like, okay, you're t- like, just let me make a decision. You've been talking for 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I think, I mean, I, I'm sure that this is an issue with movies as well, but like you have to, you have to strike a balance because some people will approach your game or your movie or whatever, and they just want to see the action like you were bringing up before. But uh, other people want that expositional dialogue or want to under- inhabit the world that you're trying to create. So like you have to you have to balance that. And I, I wouldn't know how to approach that. I am not a writer. <laughs> well, and I found um, beyond just dialogue, the uh, kind of extra stuff that a lot of games, especially big RPGs or mm-hmm. like IPs that have books and all the other things around it, uh, providing just like, context about the world and the lore and all that stuff yeah it's like i think a lot of people don't ever actually look at that Mm -hmm. but that is probably my favorite video game writing because it just like if i'm interested in the lore it gets me so immersed and i just feel like like mass effect for example it's like there's the codex and it's got hundreds and not thousands (laughs) of pages of information that you never have to touch but it's fascinating to me if you do right it it gives you context and adds a layer and it it relieves the burden uh, from some of the dialogue right. of explaining a lot of those things re- as long as it's not actually required to complete the game. Yeah. Uh-huh. right? And it means those players who don't care can skip it and maybe they miss out but they already don't care. Exactly. Yeah. And the players who do care will probably dip into the codex from time to time. Mm-hmm. Right? Right, yeah. I, I guess they have those kinds of things with the, what are the, the little audio books that you pick up sometimes yeah. and you can play as you play the game or you can play have it play as you play the game. Which are kind of nice too. I've noticed a lot of games doing that lately. Mm-hmm. Actually, just having like little audio files or things, and like a lot of them that will start playing as you're just playing through the game, so you yeah. don't actually have to actively turn them on. You yeah, yeah. In- environmental narrative design, mm-hmm. something like that. How to describe it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They they do that a lot now too, and it's I don't know. Sometimes it's done well, and sometimes it's very obvious that they should have done it differently. <laughs> I think Bioshock was one of the first that really popularized that idea. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I thought it was a little clumsy. I mean, it was kind of early going for that concept, but I thought a game I didn't like, which was Bioshock Infinite. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the game at all, mm-hmm. but the records that you pick up, I think they were like vinyl records, right? That's how they were represented. I don't know how you played them, but, um, but they would play over as you continued. Mm-hmm. What I liked about those was you picked them up in a location, and then you, as you were still in that location, either leaving it or going further into it, you'd hear whatever it was and there would always be some relation to where you found it yeah either uh, either like a that you know this is the ruins of somebody's old home and you get that it becomes this like um almost shallow depiction of a christmas eve or something yeah. and you're like oh and now it's destroyed um or you find it in the weirdest place and like the talk is about something that's and so the the the, the relation between the the place you find it and the content on it is really fascinating mm. in a way that just finding it in a hallway and then hearing a story from some part of the world wasn't as interesting mm-hmm. yeah. because it didn't have as much of a connection. I thought Bioshock did a good job of that and I didn't like almost anything else about that game. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, and I think that that leads to a lot of the times um, they're just world building and lore yeah. and just kind of whatever. But um, like with Prey, they do that same thing. Mm-hmm. You find these little audio logs all over the place and sometimes they are just conversations between people. Um, or like I think they're personal logs in, in like the actual lore and then sometimes people record their conversations which seems to be taboo yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, sometimes the when you pick them up and listen to them they actually do lead to side quests or like give you hints on like oh there's a stash of weapons hidden mm. in this place and this person just like left their personal log about it and so mm. like there are in-game um, consequences for finding them as opposed to just kind of narrative yeah. that's cool I think there are some missions in Borderlands 2 that are like that. Uh, there's one mission where you have to go find things, <laughs> find audio logs that are from this person who's slowly going crazy. And so each one you, you find, she's gone more and more nuts. Oh. And <laughs> for some reason, she's hidden all, them all around. And she's like, go find them all. I hid them all around <laughs> for people to find. <laughs> anyway, that's a pretty fun mission. I like, I like audio logs like that. Uh, because you can engage with them or not, um, and if you do, they're cool. Yeah, that's one of the systems for delivering dialogue. But there's many. I mean, certainly, I mean, we're, this is not really dialogue as we think of it, like with an RPG kind of thing. But Mass Effect's a great example of a dialogue system. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what are the kinds that are great, and which ones are played out? Very good question. You came up with it, I think, Steven. I Yes. <laughs> Show me. Don't be surprised. <laughs> Well, that's yeah. the best question I've heard all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, myself personally, I can't stand uh, dialogue choices where it's obvious there's a good and a bad choice mm. because, like, you you obviously just pick the choice that you're trying to build your character towards instead of like actually thinking about what your character would act- actively do. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, that 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 always feels um, unnatural. I like the ones in terms of dialogue trees when you're provided with explicitly what the person is going or what your character is going to say mm-hmm. rather than like the general mood. I don't know. Was it Mass that, Effect that did that? Fallout, Fallout 4 Fallout. famously did it yeah. know, where they had like you could uh, be sarcastic or they give you a little blurb about what you were going to say but it was like a whole thing and you wouldn't know the tone exactly. in they would say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You, you can mod that out right quick. Too, so. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I would do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about what about choices where like it it doesn't make an apparent difference what how you answer it, but it's just like flavor on how your character would answer the question? I go back and forth on that. I yeah. think depending on the game, like if if you're really trying to immerse the player, I prefer there to be consequences mm. to the different choices in dialogue. But 
if it's just like you want the narrative to progress, but you want to make the person feel like they're participating, then yeah. I guess that it makes it a little bit more fun and personable. But yeah, I would I would always prefer to just like actually have an impact, and obviously that makes <laughs> the entirety of the game a lot more difficult. Right. So right. Yeah, I, I like that too because I um again I'm bringing up Skyrim, but like I I make a bunch of different characters, and each of the characters have different personalities. With that additional flavor, I get to like change it 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 helps inform how what my character would think and say in this situation yeah. which i really enjoy and um even if it doesn't necessarily make an apparent difference it might make a difference on like how the uh the character responds back to you mm-hmm. uh even though it like doesn't make an impact on the narrative and i, I kind of like that too yeah well yeah. that's what i liked about the older fallout games and um i think the older elder scrolls too mm-hmm. where it was just like you were provided with questions or things to say, and they didn't really have an impact one way. Like it wasn't mood or anything yeah. like that, but it just allowed you to go through just tons and tons of dialogue and questions. And I don't know, there's just something about the fact that they were providing so much information to you via conversation rather mm-hmm. than like narration. Yeah, 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 for sure. What about like conversational trees? I do like conversational trees. You do like conversational trees. Um, uh, for, for, for listeners who don't know, what, what is a conversational tree? So the conversational trees are essentially just the, like, I guess, this tree, is that a metaphor? Or a, <laughs> uh, yes. For the branches of the conversation uh-huh. so that uh, when you make one dialogue suggestion, then you're led to choices between others, and then it just branches from there. Yeah. Um, kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure almost. Yeah. <laughs> So there are things that are then locked off from you. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe sometimes they eventually co converge again. But mm-hmm. you know. But I think um my problem with those, kind of similar to what I'd said before, is just making them feel like you have a genuine impact because the more branches of your tree, the more of the game you have to provide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um I think the the telltale games are a great example of that because it's like as the tree branches out then you're like, oh, my decisions are really impacting the world and everything's so different. But I've played through a few of them and purposefully made different choices. And in a lot of instances, it's just like, it's all the same in the end anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it almost feels disingenuous. Yeah. Well, one of the things I like about the Telltale games is that they'll tell you when a choice mattered or not. Like they'll say, oh, so-and-so will remember this right. later, mm-hmm. which is cool. Because um, then you can tell like, um, what is just superfluous not going to matter, and what is actually impacting the game? Exactly. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard um, that some of those things where they say they will remember this, they don't actually remember this, or it doesn't actually impact the story, but they just put it up there so people feel like it. Mm-hmm. I don't have. So they factual. take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. I don't have factual evidence to suggest, <laughs> yeah, whether or not that is true, but I have heard that. Well, and I've struggled a lot with this actually. I was thinking, like, trying to do writing exercises after playing. I think. Um, the Walking Dead, the Telltale One, and I couldn't figure out what a visual and truly impactful decision could be that isn't like a character death. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what a lot of games that use that mechanic lean on because it's like, oh, I made this decision and now someone's dead. Yeah. And that really <laughs> does change the mm-hmm. game and the characters you get to interact with. But I was like, there has to be something other than a death. Well, I mean, you could just make the character hate you. <laughs> Right, (laughs) like maybe they just want to have nothing to do with you at that point. Well, Mass Effect, which is guilty of this, of course. Like one of the things they do in Mass Effect Two, I think it's like they introduce that idea of like loyalty missions, which can only be unlocked if you 
go along with the enough character tree of, of those people, mm-hmm. but you can do it for all the characters. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it would be a better thing if you would only pick a certain amount before it, everyone, Shepard's like, well, I got all the friends I need. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, that I think actually it makes that it did stick choice. with me. Mm-hmm. They make, um, not fully to that extent, but uh, with, what's her name, Miranda, the British one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you pursue your relationship too far with the other girl, which I'd never experienced before because I always let her die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you do that, then they have this like weird cat fight, which feels a little sexist, but um, they're like jealous about it. And then depending on which one you choose, it will make the other colder to you. Yeah. Mm. So I thought that was an interesting. That happens in the Witcher. Um, if you Witcher three, if you pick one of the, like it doesn't matter anyone else. It's just these two mm-hmm. that if you end up, having a relationship with one you can't with the other but like anyone else they don't care about only the <laughs> two of them <laughs> just one mutually exclusive pair yeah and everybody else whatever yeah <laughs> are they like sisters or something no oh they're just, just like weird. two that they know that the witcher dude cares about the most oh and so they're okay i don't know okay it's, it's when he's ready to settle down yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> except you don't even, anyway, yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> I've not played the Witcher games, but I've watched my wife play them. And one of the things is that all the characters react to you being a Witcher and have a different idea of, of whether they are excited about that or angry about that. And so even, even without making it a real complicated system, having those initial reactions be less than, hi, I'm the shopkeep, let me tell you about my day or, yeah. my, or my life. Like those initial reactions can help you know what your character is about even before you make any choices. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's not necessarily expositional. Yeah. They do that in Skyrim. Some too, like if you uh, earn a certain level in um, a particular skill, guards will comment on it and be like, Oh, heavy armor. Yeah. I like heavy armor. Yeah. <laughs> You're a good kind of person or something, right. which is really nice. Cause it makes you feel like you've done something important and it makes you feel like you're inhabiting the world, which is mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. I mean, but all of this is more writing. <laughs> My favorite is always, um, uh, when you use destruction magic, mm-hmm. you'll get people commenting like, don't go burning the place down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> right, because everyone in Skyrim has a tendency to hate magic for mm-hmm. some reason. Yeah, I, I like the more subtle um, uses of that in, I think, Fallout New Vegas. I think it might also in Fallout 4 too. Um, but in New Vegas, they have these two like warring factions. And if you're wearing the outfits of one of them, mm-hmm. everyone and the other one will hate you, even if you're not a part of them and you just like right, found right. the clothes. So I think that's like an interesting way to subvert some of those like initial. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fascinating how to like, how to get people to feel immersed in the world just through the dialogue itself. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I I imagine that that process is very difficult to even come up with like the different kinds of things you could, you could think of. And I, I imagine like an open world game, it's easier because like there's a whole bunch of different things you can do. So like it's a lot easier to write dialogue for all these different things you can do. But like in like, for example, a platformer, I don't think for the most part, like in, in Super Mario Odyssey, for the most part players or the, the characters don't uh, respond to like the different clothes you're wearing unless you're there specifically, it's like a specific quest mm-hmm. of some form. Bowser does in the final Bowser battle. Does he? Bowser will comment on your outfit. Oh. And, and if you happen to get Bowser's wedding outfit, yeah. either through an amiibo or some other way before that, he'll be like, wow, you look sharp. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no matter, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's great. There's only a couple of them it works for. But uh, I was going to actually, I think Odyssey does a pretty, I mean, not a great job, but like for a Mario game, yeah. where after you beat certain objectives, uh, 
characters like the passive dialogue the speech bubbles you see as you walk by yeah they change based on the situation oh okay. and that's that's i think where it's most important to mm-hmm. to to use dialogue as a tool for that is have the player or have the the characters not only world build for you the newcomer to the world mm-hmm. but also to react and to things that you the player have done right? yeah or even events that have happened that you were nearby yeah so the batman games do this really well the the arkham games mm-hmm. where the um all the the thug dialogue which is pretty bad <laughs> but like it serves a pretty good purpose and like a crowd you know because you're stalking these thugs for most of the game right. so you hear overhear them a lot mm-hmm. talking about things and so you hear the same dialogue over and over but a lot of times it will comment on the last big explosion from yeah. the previous mission and because it's an open world game more or less you know it does feel more like you are impacting the world on a you know the street level to use a phrase yeah um, which is pretty good and those and yeah the dialogue is terrible but like it it does a it becomes good dialogue as yeah. a tool mm-hmm. in a way that like really well written dialogue in another game system wouldn't be as well received because it doesn't actually it doesn't have a job it doesn't do anything mm-hmm. other yeah. than being good dialogue that reminds me of um, in Grand Theft Auto Five like the NPCs are just running around doing random stuff so mm-hmm. they'll walk by and like there'll be this whole robbery happening that. You, no one is a part of and yeah. it's just happening and people are screaming and running and it's not you. Yeah. And, or like you'll be walking by and these two people will meet and be like, Oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've seen you. And like stuff like that. And you, as you're just walking by and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They do kind of, that kind of stuff in watchdogs. There's like a rapper. There's always like, there's two different kinds of rappers and they just rap. They have the same two raps. And they will just do that constantly throughout the whole thing. So you just get them stuck in your head. <laughs> yeah, I always liked the uh, chalk radio stations. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Which is weird because they put so much money and effort into picking music like, yeah. from the real world to play on the radio stations. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the writing is always really funny with those radio stations and does a lot of world building. Oh, and then they also react to like whatever latest heist. Yeah. I think maybe just a couple of the big ones throughout the campaign or something. But they will... Comment on the news mm-hmm. that actually happens. Yeah. So I, I talked about this earlier, but like I can't stand it when like your game has a morality system and it's just a good or bad option. Mm-hmm. How do you avoid that? I think just approaching the entire game from a different perspective. Yeah. Than that, like the I think it's it's I've seen it less lately. I okay. think people are getting tired of it, but there was definitely a period a couple of years ago where it felt like every game was like make the choice, be good or be evil. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like the dialogue would follow that and your actions would follow that. And then you get like quests that were like, do you want to do the good thing or the bad thing? And then you get the ending and it'd be like, this is the good ending and the bad ending. And so I think you really have to holistically look at the game mm-hmm. and just do away with that mentality. And I mean, in some ways it works like um, the infamous um, it was during that period, uh, but you, you get different bl- powers. The blue energy or the red energy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Real um, subtle there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, that's one option. Or, like, with Star Wars, um, you know, being able to get the lightning and yeah. dark side powers because you're evil. Yeah, and- it kind of makes yeah, it kind of makes sense in, I guess, Star Wars specifically, and maybe in Infamous, I guess, because that's how they built the world. Mm-hmm. But, like, most of the times, it, most options should be gray. Yeah. They shouldn't be black and white options. I think when designers do that, they want you to make a choice between this or that, and they mm-hmm. try to make it. That's why Mass Effect called it Paragon Renegade instead of Good and Evil. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted you to like make a make two equally good choices. The problem is, is as the player, I pick early what I want to go for, right. and then it becomes the correct and incorrect choice. Yes. After that, yes. And I don't think the uh, the game designers who popularized these systems understood that at all. Right, right, right. I suppose that's true. Yeah, and and then and then it just got really popular, so that everybody started implementing it in their games. And I guess. 
now it's trending away from that, but thank goodness. But <laughs> uh yeah, I, I just haven't I haven't seen a game like really do decisions constantly well. I've seen it in some games where they have a really cool decision. I think I brought this up in the past episode, but like in Arkham Knight there's this one DLC uh mission. So you can choose to save him or uh give him this Lazarus Pit medicine that will revive him again. But like he's a obviously a bad person. So Batman um making the decision that Batman does, he would always try to save and he tries to save all lives because that's how Batman works. Uh-huh. But because this is a bad person and like Batman technically wouldn't be influencing his death because he would have just naturally died anyways right. of old age or whatever. Um but you have to make the decision of whether to like save this person or not. And I found that to be a really interesting decision because like what would Batman do in that situation? Mm-hmm. Which was an interesting concept. Um but I, I there are very few games that have like implemented that choice well that I enjoy. You know, yeah. we're all really hazy on the details of that one. Yeah. I remember being underwhelmed by it. Yeah. I don't have a good reason why, because I don't remember uh, that well either. Okay. I just don't remember it being that strong. Uh, but, you know, it was better than nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's, I guess that's what I'm asking for, is better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I might have been thinking of the same one as you. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, he's like a, another vigilante guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was like a sort of Catholic-themed Batman. Yeah. And you could choose whether or not to let him like try to kill you I think uh, how that you played down. as him is what it was and then you're, you're, the choice was whether you were going to try to kill Batman or not yeah. and uh, you, Batman didn't die either way but it was the, you made the choice as him or something whether to be uh, fulfill your destiny to replace the Batman right. or to or to sort of uh, spurn your destiny and then you know fight alongside him or something mm-hmm. but it, I mean mechanically it didn't matter but it was an interesting choice mm-hmm. well and uh, I thought that that, that game handled that really well because um, once the criminals were kidnapped and taken back to the prison. You could go, and then they had these little like short dialogues with each other and yeah. Batman when he'd walk by um, that were based off of what happened yeah, in, in yeah. the mission. And I just remembered in the previous one, the uh, Arkham City, um, they give you this like huge choice at the end to uh, either leave as when you're playing as Catwoman, mm-hmm. either leave the city and not help Batman. Oh, that's right, or to come back and help Batman. And yeah. I remember being so disappointed because you don't actually get to choose yeah if you walk away they're just like just kidding you're gonna go <laughs> it was just yeah. game over it was, yeah. it's that it's that choose your own adventure thing where you reach the end, the page is like you're dead go back to page thing to try again you <laughs> yeah. know i am now reminded of the talk we had this is this was i think this is what we talked about during our co-op talk episode yeah wow. specifically was like uh choices in games and things like that oh and sure, like, sure which ones are impactful and now i'm remembering that like we talked about batman and stuff <laughs> in that episode Ah, good times. You know, Callbacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. It, it, I mean, we talk about a broader topic because dialogue is just a piece of mm-hmm. something bigger, right? Yeah. It's either world building or it's about character development or it's about uh, deciding which missions are available to a player. And so it becomes, it's not itself uh, its own thing. It always becomes a tool to some other element of design. Right. Um, and so it, it's easy to talk about something else when you're trying to talk about dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose oftentimes uh, dialogue, when it's most engaging for me personally, is when it's like a world building sort of thing, mm-hmm. and it makes like the game feel more lived in and more real. Uh, like, like we the do Mass Effect elevator conversations. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, I guess, sort of. Those those were kind of cool. Um, but I, I like in Finjin specifically, what we do is like we have little dialogue bubbles that pop up because the game is supposed to have a comic book aesthetic. So like dialogue bubbles will pop up on your ship when something when something 
impactful has happened. Maybe a boss shows up and then Bubbles will comment, ooh, I get to blow that up? Or something <laughs> like that. And it makes the character, like, you you know who you're playing as and you know, like, what that character would uh, do in that situation and say in that situation. Um, and I like that kind of stuff because it gives personalities to the people you're playing as and it gives more, it gives more, it, it makes the world feel more real, which mm-hmm. yeah. is, I, I find oftentimes in games that I have a hard time believing that this is a thing <laughs> that's happening. Yeah. Well, it's, it sets a tone. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and I think that's important. In Metro Nexus, mm-hmm. my main character is the only person who ever speaks. Mm. Like, there are other characters, but you never hear from them. And, um, and I'm doing all this cutscene stuff for my single-player mode that I promised the world I'm going to deliver in 2018. <laughs> but, um, and I, I, I want to give her an attitude that is kind of, um, like, she's having a good time, like, fixing things but also breaking rules and I, mm-hmm. and, I, and I want that to all come through so that the player feels the same way mm-hmm. or at least understand so it's not just about world building it's about um, inviting the player to engage with it in a certain way right. and I think that's kind of interesting if you want to you know if you want to if you want, like you're making a Batman game well you want Batman's dialogue to be very sort of um, succinct and specific yeah. and certain yeah. and, and dire in many ways, right. right? You don't want him to be like, wee, I'm swinging a, 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 a gargoyle. Like, yeah, yeah um, that's Spider-Man because, thing. Right, no, that's exactly yeah, right yeah. because the mechanic is almost identical. Mm-hmm. It, but, um, but yeah, that, that, that can really be more about setting the tone and, and, having, and engaging with the player mm-hmm. than just building the world. You know, yeah, that reminds me because like, uh, the, uh, the new Spider-Man game is very similar, at least looks very similar to how the Batman's yeah, the Batman Arkham games will look, and so I'm very curious how they will treat dialogue in that game. Well, so that uh, kind of touches on what you were saying, Stephen, about mm-hmm. um, building the characters, and even with Batman saying like that. I think that was kind of what impacted you by that choice was yeah. that it was Batman as a character, and I think I see a lot of tension with gamers in terms of uh, a character that is like a defined character who has motivations and thoughts that you really don't have control over. Yeah, and then like the just blank slate silent protagonist um, characters where you put whatever you want into them. Yeah. Um, how do you guys feel about that kind of tension between allowing your player to give agency and dialogue choices to characters that are already predefined by the writer? Oh, we've, we've talked about uh, that on the show <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, we did a whole topic about this. Yeah, uh, yeah. To a degree, but it's interesting because we, we, we were much more broad about like character creation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, like Link's a good example. Like Link, Link has no dialogue, but sort of does in Breath of the Wild anyway. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that that Link has a, has finally has some character mm-hmm. in this game that isn't just emotes and <laughs> and visual style. Um, and I like I said in that episode, I much prefer the author letting us know what that character is. Right. And then the the player doesn't have to be exactly. So even when I describe my game and how I want the player to react, I they can. They, they can be white knuckle. They can play my game white knuckle instead mm-hmm. of like carefree. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. It, it doesn't mean I failed because you can engage it in a different way. I think there's, there's room for that complexity. But I much prefer a character that has at least something to them that I don't, you know, because if I have to write it, I have to bring it all myself, then like there's much more opportunity for it to not fit with everything else in that game. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know. I think my agency is how I participate in a, in a game, how I make my own user stories, like mm-hmm. the things I do. Uh, I'm perfectly happy to let the game build the playground for me right. as much of it as possible. I don't know. Yeah. But Martha, I, you feel the opposite. Yeah. Right? Well, no, not necess- not really. Okay. <laughs> I like it both ways because 
Um, I like I really like in Borderlands where you're playing as a character and each time you switch to a new character, you get different dialogue things that people say to you and and um, they do really clever things where like the thing that the person says back will work with all four responses that you could have given as like you don't get a choice in what you say, but each character says something different and the response works for all of them. Um which is kind of clever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have things that are specific for your character. But um, I like that version. And I also like in Destiny where you don't have, like you get to make up your own character. Mm-hmm. Uh, in dialogue trees, I'm always trying to, when there's dialogue trees and I get to pick what the person says, I'm always trying to pick like the good person, like what I would do. Like mm-hmm. I don't ever want to be like mean or anything. And I've, feel bad sometimes when I pick the wrong option. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it becomes a lot like you, what you were saying is trying to pick the right one, the, right. the one I want to say, yeah. trying to guess what the what is going to happen if I say it. Yeah. This kind of describes my whole life. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I like it. I, I think both ways are interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like, I, I honestly, I really enjoy it when I'm able to act as though I am another character. So like either I bring that character to the game, like in Skyrim, for example, or or like in Arkham Arkham Knight, where I'm Batman and I'm trying to make decisions as Batman would. Mm-hmm. I prefer those kinds of things as opposed to either making it like uh, clean slated, where I am not really able to make a decision, right. and it just like things just kind of happen around me. Um, I prefer I would yeah I prefer but to make a decision as a character. Mm. That's actually really interesting. I never thought about it that way because I've always kind of hated when the game provides you with a, a solid character but then still wants you to make choices. Because I'm like, I, mm. I don't know. I'm not this person, but that's, that's a really interesting way to, to think mm-hmm. about it. What about you, Felix? Like, how open-ended do you want your character when you're given these options? I, I really, like, I feel like an old curmudgeon, but when it comes to just, like, you know, kind of straight, non-open world games with mm-hmm. uh, defined characters, I don't care to make any choices and like it almost bums me out it feels like a gimmick um to me when i'm provided with like dialogue choice or like multiple ending choice and things like that in those kinds of games but then when it comes to like an open world like an rpg or something that i really really like being able to make every choice and use the dialogue and pick my tone and stuff like that because i think it makes it feel more realistic like with mass effect for example i too often try to be like the good kind of upstanding Captain, and don't want to hurt anyone, but like I always punch that reporter. (laughs) (laughs) She just deserves it. (laughs) So when I played Mass Effect three, because you can punch that reporter once in each game, (laughs) and then you get like I think you get an achievement for doing it in all three. And I never did. I think as the first game I didn't know you could, Mm -hmm. and then the second game I'm like I'm not going to do that. And the third game I accidentally did. (laughs) Like the thing flashed on screen. I'm like I'm going to press it. I'm like oh no. (laughs) And I'm like should I restart my save? Like I'm like you know what? It just doesn't matter now. Like at, at, from that point on, I kind of stopped caring about mm-hmm. my choices because mm. I'm kind of with you. Like I don't, I, I would have been fine with a Mass Effect where I didn't make any dialogue choices, right. even though it was a huge part of that game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't at all the most memorable part to me. You know? Well, and I think because in in like Mass Effect, especially, there are so many other choices that you make yes. that really affect the world that it's not so much dependent on your dialogue choices. But then mm-hmm. in a game like the Telltale series, I feel like it's more heavily weighted towards dialogue and then like 
to just general action choices get a little bit less. Right. Uh, most of the game is dialogue. <laughs> yeah. So the one thing I don't like about Telltale is that they have a timer for how long you get to yeah. make a choice. <laughs> and so I've often made choices I didn't really want to because I just clicked on something. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's also quick time events. So it's all about like being quick on the draw and like mm-hmm. just your first reaction. Yeah. And so like there are things where, like in the Borderlands Telltale one where you had to like, remember things and by oh, the time yeah. that I got to the dialogue thing that you're supposed to like you're supposed to be doing this negotiation and like you're supposed to be playing this other person and I messed up totally because <laughs> yeah. I was like I don't know eh, ah. <laughs> sometimes saying nothing is the best option though it's true that's true that's true <laughs> is that an option in total games yeah. to not say anything oh okay well that's good I think that should be an option especially if they have a timer like that mm-hmm. Yeah, it I sounds like that mechanic is defaults too. Usually, if you run out of time, it oh. just goes to like just the ellipses, say nothing, oh. just kind of stare blankly. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I like that. If you were to make a game, and this goes for everyone, if you were to make a game, what kinds of systems would you like in your games? In terms of dialogue, yes, I, I realize that like this is very generic, but like maybe a future game you want to work on. Um, I think it would be the kind of like box tree, um. And I would, uh, I, I've always, I haven't gone back and played it, but uh, the first game that I ever played that really struck me in terms of the dialogue was um, Blade Runner. Mm. Because it, gave, it was like the box tree kind of asked questions and there was a lot of, um, very similar to L.A. Noir, like interrogation and that kind of thing. And the game's like 15 years old, so I'm sure it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> uh, quick for listeners, this was like 99 or 2000, something like something that. Like yeah. that. Mm. It was... Um, it didn't sell well. It has, no. a, it has a whole history. It's pretty fascinating. <laughs> but uh, they, they were ambitious, um, and that's why I really want to go back and look and see how impactful the dialogue actually is because it's like an 80-hour game or something crazy. It's like four discs on the <laughs> PC kind of thing. Um, but it was the first time I'd ever seen not only do you get dialogue options and then you know, once you say something or offend someone in a certain way, it uh, removes dialogue choices. Mm-hmm. But then also they had this mechanic when you're doing the um, interrogations where you got to choose your character's like mood. Like, oh, so you, you're asking the same question, but are you asking it in like a brash manner? Are you trying to be like friendly or flirtatious? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that that was just like a really interesting and hmm. much more realistic way to handle that. I think that's what I would Okay. I like that. What about you, Mark? Well, <clears throat> you kind of hit on it, Felix, when you're talking about. Um, like in Mass Effect, you, there are other choices you make that have big impact. And so um, thinking about that, it really does depend on the game. If, if my game had you know, these multiple choice kind of scenarios, where, which is pretty common for games that are dialogue heavy, mm-hmm. um, if I want to make a big RPG, um, I would definitely calibrate the amount of dialogue choices you even have mm-hmm. uh, to things that actually made a difference. Yeah. And, uh, and, and not even just made a difference in that scene. We said, and, that, and that's probably where I would split with people just like, you know, taste is relative i think that because those choices become so annoying if all they do is just impact the next 15 seconds Mm -hmm. i feel like that's not that's that feels like it's a separate game now it's a different thing um it's not the main game i'm playing so if where on the other hand you know like a visual novel or a game that is mostly narrative or maybe even a puzzle game with a narrative um i would be more comfortable putting more dialogue choices because I could be, I could put more impact in those choices. Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of me avoiding the question, but um, <laughs> but it is. And but yeah, you really made me think about it when you said that. That like that's why Mass Effect dialogue to me felt forgettable, mm-hmm. is because those were not the main 
uh, diversions you made really you know mm-hmm. well and i think adding uh real consequence to it you know i similar to the the uh batman thing that i was shaming but um <laughs> in a lot of visual novels and um in the elder scrolls morrowind um there were things you could do or say that would just ruin an entire mission. Yeah. Like you just couldn't do it anymore. And um, it's very common in visual novels to be like, you offended this person, now you have to start over. And I think that's really frustrating for yeah. a lot of players. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate it because it makes it feel like I'm not just wasting my time picking dialogue options that don't matter. Like if I say something that is offensive or wrong and I'm like trying to discover something and then I just don't get to find out. Yeah. It's <laughs> the real world. How about you, Martha? I would do a thing where you wouldn't really choose. You just have characters or like your character would never talk sort or like they would say stuff like Link says stuff where they don't actually say anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when you were talking about like, I can't remember what prompted this thought, but it reminded me of, um, of, uh, uh, Shadowrun, the mm-hmm. video game versions, and how they like it was cool because there were multiple ways you could like do some of the missions, and some of them were like if you had gotten enough intelligence points to to um, or put enough into like social stuff, you would get extra dialogue options um, that could help you like be friend, get friends with some person who would let you in and like let you cut off a whole part of a mission that would be harder for you because you wouldn't have had enough combat skills to get through it. So I think that's kind of interesting, like using some other mechanic to affect the the dialogue options too would be cool. Yeah, that's a different take on consequences. Yeah. Right? It's not multiple endings. It's more about your path through the game. Right? Yeah. It can be different. If you are more interested in investing in, in the, the social aspects of the dialogue and the NPCs, then the other parts of the game maybe uh, become lighter for you because you you don't have to invest as much in that. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hear me out. This is what I would do. <laughs> the whole thing. Brace for impact. So <laughs> I always wanted a game where you can like create your own sentence and like have arguments using like your own, like creating your own sentence sort of structure. And I've been thinking about this very recently and I don't know exactly how I would implement it. But the way I'm thinking of it is like, each of the face buttons, A, B, X, and Y, would have like different types of responses. Like maybe A is aggressive and B is like calm. That seems opposite, but whatever. And X does a thing, Y does a thing. And then like you'd press that, you'd press that button to to to, uh, to respond to this person who's giving you um, the business or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then like maybe maybe the triggers would like change the the certain the the uh, the kind of word you'd use. So maybe like the left trigger. Um, is a verb button and the right trigger is an adjective button and then like all of those things you use that to form a sentence and yeah. maybe the game would have like a certain list of words you could use depending upon which choice you made but like I want to be able to do that <laughs> so you'd have like uh, aggressive specific um, uh, sarcastic and yeah. you'd combine that into a corded and then it would the game would then decide what sentence that was yes but you could also do like aggressive patronizing <laughs> You know, or yeah, something. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I want to. I want to just just try it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that'd be kind of fun. I think that would be great. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like um, it seems totally doable. Yeah, I think so. Um, I have one more question: Is it dialogue without the UE or dialogue with the UE? <laughs> um, I, I think I always use the UE. You always use. I always use UE too. I think that's the British spelling, 
or something. I've heard it's the British way. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks more fancy to me. I actually don't know that I've seen it without the UE. Actually, I I spelt it all crazy? over all over the script as just dialogue without the UE. I think they're both fine in American English. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there are a couple other words that uh, I don't know how much off my head that mm-hmm. that have the UE as an optional in American English. Huh. Okay. Um, well. That's interesting. Yeah. But okay. UE. You're all you're all about the UE. Yeah, I, yeah. I use the O U R and color and <laughs> Well right. <laughs> well, before we go, I did yeah. want to talk a little we haven't it's interesting because we talk really about systems and design yes. here, but it's it's really apart from like act, the actual writing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um and maybe we could touch just briefly on that. Um uh, I don't think we're really equipped with the questions we have prepared <laughs> to really make this a writing workshop. But um, one of the things I've learned recently is um, it, it comes from another area of my work, which is I've done subtitles for for, uh, oh. for, uh, for scenes in films that are have foreign language. So they're they're English language films, but then there are scenes that are in foreign languages. So mm. it's just a really like little bit. And the purpose of those subtitles I've learned that doing after doing research um, is that um, you want them to be read at the pace you would hear them, mm-hmm. not be a perfect translation of what the meaning is. And what that means is you have to be incredibly concise and you have to start, you have to start being more ambiguous and you have to start dropping like entire clauses from phrases in the script in order for this, the subtitle to have a cadence and a feeling. And so you see, um, that's why subtitling is a job and not just a, a, a task mm-hmm. because you, and so, and I've, I've, I've learned recently um, or I've surmised recently that like that is the secret to good video game dialogue is the same idea is to, um, is to really try to express something in a way that can come off with the right feeling and is less, it's, man, I love purple prose. I love my extra uh, adverbs, but mm-hmm. like, um, it's not, it doesn't do the same job. You can't, you can't be poetic in the right. same way. Yeah. Um, I was, man, I'm thinking about this recently because uh, in my game, my character describes how good she is at what she does. Mm-hmm. And I want to come up with her kind of just have kind of a funny, flighty way of talking. And so I, this phrase, I'm like, she's like, oh yeah, I'm so incredibly cool at this, which is a phrase I thought would be really fun for her to say. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty good, but I can shorten that to fit in the box better and be faster to read. I'm just so cool at this. I'm like, well, then it might be ambiguous. And so I'm like, I'm trying to find the right balance between all these things because what would sound good of a person saying like, you know, in a film or, uh, or, or even in like an, uh, uh, like a, uh, like ad copy, like really punchy ad copy that really gets to you like mm-hmm. it's a totally different job mm-hmm. and um and and like without a ton of experience in this i'm kind of just fumbling around with what else i know and trying to find the, but that's my working theory right now is like that subtitles like that's how it should sort of feel okay. um because there's way too many games where i'm like wow that sentence could be like 50 percent as long and mean the same thing mm-hmm. but would it be as good of a sentence maybe not but it would still be better for this purpose mm. you know i don't know yeah but, like i don't know felix like as the professional writer in the room <laughs> Like who has, I'm sure, had to shorten sentences oh, yeah. constantly. You've also served as an editor. Yes. So you know how this works. That's actually, I, I went into the writing industry looking to be more of a writer and ended up doing a lot more editing, I think, in my yeah. professional <laughs> experience. Um, I agree completely with that, actually. Um, and I think it's something we haven't quite touched on, but um, uh, impacts a lot of what we talked about, even mechanically, is the difference between like a lot of what we've talked about is the big AAA open world, like, RPGs and whatnot, but mm-hmm. um, especially when you get down to something like, I mean, even Zelda, the new one's a lot more big open world RPG, but um, 
any platformer or you know indie game where you don't have a huge team of like a thousand people that can write the dialogue mm-hmm. and build all the trees and yeah. all that. <laughs> um, you really have to pare it down because otherwise it impacts the mechanics of the game. I think when yeah. you're you get really taken out of it, even if it is really interesting and good dialogue, it starts to feel more like a movie. And then you're like, okay, but like <laughs> I'm trying to do things right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's a very, it's a hard balance, I think, to find um, a way to make it not come across as, as we said in the beginning, very like cliche and like, oh, you know, this is a video game. I hear that so much from writers actually in, in other media. It's like when they're writing specifically dialogue, like, oh, this sounds video gamey. Yeah. Like, mm. And like, there are video games that have good dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. what they're known for. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because a lot, especially AAA games, a lot of the writing is done for cutscenes, which are very specifically mm-hmm. cinematic. Yeah. And a lot of those rules do apply. Mm-hmm. And so then they have to then match that with other types of dialogue you see from shopkeepers or something. Right. Like, and it becomes, that becomes a whole task because you're, it needs to feel of a piece, mm-hmm. but also does different jobs, yep. mm-hmm. right? And then uh, practically, I think um, the other complication is making that choice between uh, is it all going to be scripted and just like read, or are you going to get voice actors? Yeah. And like, I think a lot of games, even the big AAA ones, tend to go with like, we'll give you a ton to read, and then like the voice actor will do some of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or um, in like Breath of the Wild specifically. Uh, I was playing yesterday. They do like the um, greeting, or like they'll say like a couple words, mm-hmm. and then it'll be a huge shock bubble. Or like the only thing uh, Korok says is what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. Oh, you mean Hestu? Yeah. Doesn't that the other one say it too? But they're not called. Aren't they? Are they called Koroks? Yeah, they, they're Koroks. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just thought this. Never mind. I got confused. It's <laughs> been a long day. What, what yeah. Is- <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, Felix, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, and yay. And giving us your wisdom. We always love having you. Um, where can people find you online? Um, all the, the social medias. Um, just Felix244. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll put that in the show notes, of course. And we'll hope to have you back soon. Thank you. That is our show. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club and your favorite podcast app. Be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. Felix, you've probably already by now given us a good review. Hey. I believe I have. Okay. (laughs) We'll check into that. (laughs) So really, your next job is to bully other people to do the same Mm -hmm. as we're doing now to our listeners. So we need to know you're out there. So leave a review and tell all your friends too. Uh, You can give us feedback on the feedback form. Where can they find that? Nicegames.club slash feedback. That's right. Uh, Let us know. And of course, we want to hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show, your nice host, our nice guest, as well as get all the links and notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. And so until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.